Is this on? Okay, am I good? Yeah, hey. We're so <clears throat> glad we to be here. Did fall off the stage. Well done. Yeah, they're fall off the stage. Never we're know. so glad to be with y'all. Um, I mm. say y'all a lot. I'm from Georgia, but um, we we are loving Chicago. I should tell you that. Um, we have already had some serious deep dish pizza oil here. Um, what's the name of that we place? We haven't recovered yet. Lou Malnati's. Anybody Lou know Malnati's. about Lou Malnati's? Unbelievable. Yes, look at that. Yeah. So painful. I can't look at the picture yet. It's, it's too soon. I yeah. feel a little sick still, but it was so good. Too it was soon. so worth it. Too soon. Gosh. No, too. I, um, Unbelievable. I want to tell y'all that um, this could be one of these messages this morning where you're a little like, okay, well, I'm sort of glad I heard this, but then kind of not because it's going to bum out my whole day, probably the week. Like, this is. It's kind of awkward and sad, this poor young girl, like, oh, I kind of wish I wasn't here. But the reality is, um, I'm just awesome. I just can't Look walk. Look you go. It's, All right. It's, here's the thing. Like, my body doesn't work very well. I've got a whole lot of health problems. I'm very disabled. Yes, I can't walk. I can't drive. My hand doesn't work. My face is paralyzed and on and on. But, like, I have an awesome life. And the body is the only thing that's really messed up. So rest assured, there is good stuff for you in this, in this message. There is good stuff. It's not sad. Listen, it's actually the opposite of sad. It's really um, some good stuff for your week ahead. And the reality is, is that we all got stuff, don't we? It all looks totally different, but it's actually all the same. The specifics of your story are probably different than a master brain some stroke and nearly dying and blah, blah, blah. A marriage challenge to the core, all these things. But it's funny, isn't it, how so different yet so similar. What we feel is most personal to us is always the most universal thing. It's crazy how that works. And for us as Christians, as a believing people, we know that our stuff is part of a story, all part of the same story, all ultimately a part of God's story. And it's really important to listen to the stories of other people because it changes our brains and how we feel about our own story. So That's tune right. in. That's right. You know, as Catherine was saying, we're, uh, we're not all in physical wheelchairs, but we've all got invisible wheelchairs inside. That's right. We're really all disabled, if you want to call it that, because... Yeah. We weren't meant to do life alone. <laughs> we were meant to do life in community and with God in the middle of it. And that's what we're all getting to do today. That's what we get to celebrate in, in this gathering is retelling and remembering the story of God in the world with us. Yeah. And that's something to get excited about. That's some good news. That is the hope that it propels us into this unknown future that we're living out together. So thanks for being here this morning to remember this story that you already know. And maybe you've forgotten and maybe God wants to tell it to you in a new way, even yeah. today. And uh, I hope he does that through the lens of our story. Uh, because really, like Catherine said, this is, this is all the same story. God's trying to tell us that in the midst of death, there can be new life. <laughs> in our deepest wounding, there can be healing like we never could have imagined. 
And that's the, 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 the truths and the lessons that we've learned in the past 11 years since everything changed for us. And we pray today that God opens up something new in your own story in that way. But today we're going to start uh, where I think a lot of great stories start, which is at a wedding. And it's our wedding because it's our story. Uh, but we're coming up on 15 years since this picture was taken. And I just need to say thank you, God, for that miracle. It's a great, great gift it's and a miracle. a miracle. It is a miracle. Yes, yeah, she's saying it very just surprised, kind of. Um, <laughs> but no doubt there was every obstacle against... Uh, against this marriage. So anyway, we're from the South, hence yeah. the y'alls, you may have heard. Um, and did somebody say amen? Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> amen, y'all. Um, now we love the South. And uh, we, we met in college at a little place called Sanford, kind of like a, kind of like a Wheaton, I think. Uh, what was awesome is when we moved to California, everybody thought we went to Stanford, and we just sort of let them make that assumption <laughs> that we were clearly, you know, rocket scientists and... Um, you know, whatever. I don't even know what else they do at Stanford. It's very smart. But it wasn't, that wasn't the one we went to. Anyway, Stanford met and uh, had a lot of ups and downs, but then really felt like God was calling us to do this life together and this adventure of marriage together. So we got married uh, in the fall of 04. Um, and my dad, who's a pastor, did the wedding. And he, for some reason, decided to do sort of the, the homily or the, the message section from Matthew 7. So Matthew 7 is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And this way of um, looking at the world, Jesus paints this picture of the kingdom of God that's really this upside-down kingdom and really different, you know, than, than the world we're all living in. And he asked the people who were in the crowd that day, what foundation are you building your house on? Because the storms of life are going to come, and it really, really matters what you're founded on. If you're on the sand, the storms come, everything's going to fall apart. But if you have founded your life and your family and your love on the rock that is Christ. No storm can ever take you down. And so we're like, Dad, that is a, that, that's something to clap about for sure. At 22, though, at 22, we're like, Dad, that is a bummer wedding message. Um, <laughs> house is falling down. We should do the love chapter. We should talk about that. I don't know what, what you were thinking. But listen, in, in his wisdom, he implanted it in our heads and in our hearts this question we all have to face what are we founding our life on? What are we giving our life to? What are we investing ourselves and our time and our love and our resource in? And so often it's not till the next season, and oh, maybe we'll, we'll plug into a church after we, you know, get some more time out of after grad school or the kids are out of the house or the kids are in the house or whatever it is. And that pesky little voice in my dad was ringing in our ears that it matters right now what you invest and give your life to. Yeah. And if you give it to the church, the body of Christ, and the, the message and ministry of Christ in the world, it'll never, never fail you. And, and so basically, we go from this place to Los Angeles, California, on this adventure, kind of crazy. We didn't know anybody. I had gotten into law school at Pepperdine. Catherine was going to do some modeling. She had done some modeling in Atlanta and the southeast and got an agent in L.A., and, yeah, uh, we, and we always like to make it clear that I was a really big-time Los Angeles fashion model. You may have heard of me, Catherine, like Giselle, Catherine. Um, we brought a picture of the pinnacle of my work so that you too could understand the type of important Los Angeles fashion model I was. So here I was <laughs> at um, the Disneyland 
Tiki Hut. Um, here I'm modeling for the um, Tiki Hut Moo Moo 25th Anniversary Collection for their online catalog. So clearly I've made it as a Los Angeles fashion model. So, I mean, pretty sure we were living the dream. Living it. <laughs> you should have kept that. Also, I don't know who that man was holding my wife's hand. That's really <laughs> awkward. And, but I would never wear that shirt, so it's clearly not me. Anyway, <laughs> we, had a lot of, uh, we had a lot of highs and lows, early married life, and, uh, you know, our early 20s, figuring out who we were. Uh, but like I said, we, we couldn't get our, my dad out of our head. And so that first Sunday in L.A., we jumped into church. And it was the first time that we hadn't um, sort of been, you know, dumped into church or forced to go, but we chose it ourselves. And maybe some of you are here right. in that season today. And uh, I, I, I have to say, if you don't have a church home, I think you found one. And I think you should make this your home. We, um, yeah, yeah, you should. You should. Clap for that, because that's big. The, um, the experience of going to this church, it was called Bel Air Prez Church, changed our life forever. And we got to be a part of this young married sort of Sunday school class, I guess you could call it. Um, other people in the same age and stage of our life trying to figure things out together. Um, and little did we know that we would really need to think about marriage. We'd really need to study scripture. We'd really need to have deep community and friends because that storm that we never thought would be coming was coming just a few years ahead. And fast forward a couple of years uh, near to the end of law school and we had a baby, which I don't really recommend to do when you're in grad school, but God's five-year plan, you know, is better than our own. So um, James, our, our son James was born the fall of 2007, and almost six months to the day after that picture was taken, we would face that great storm in our life in April of 2008. And it was just a totally normal day. I felt funny for months because I'd had a baby. So I wasn't sleeping, I was breastfeeding, I was just exhausted and just yuck. So when I was feeling weird, I had no reason to think that it was anything serious because I had no family history, no medical history, nothing like that. So there was no indication that anything would be weird. I just like felt funny and was dizzy and um, I just decided to get on with the day. I really just was like, this is just, you know, a mind never matter thing. And so I um, go in the kitchen, put the baby down for a nap, and I'm prepping a meal in the kitchen. And Jay just happens to come home um, in between his law school classes. And I'm in the kitchen. I fall to my hands and knees, and they instantly go numb. And I start throwing up. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking like, oh my goodness, maybe this is something serious. So I'm able to call out to Jay, who's home, so he's able to call 911. And the paramedics come, and within a few moments, they have deemed me necessary to move to a hospital, that it is serious. And they pack me up on the stretcher, and as we're leaving the married housing dorm, um, my final thoughts before going into a coma are just so, like, funny to me because I had no clue how serious it was. So I'm thinking, like, 
Maybe someone should get a toothbrush in case I have to spend the night, and I hope when they wake up the baby or he gets up that they'll know we're titling rice cereal today, and did I eat a funny burrito yesterday, and like all these like funny surfacey thoughts, and so I'm having these thoughts and I lose consciousness as we're leaving, and I would only wake up from that moment two months later. So I'd, I'd been in a coma for two months with um, yeah, no memory. And um, as we talk about this day, we, we know it probably brings to light memories of the day your life changed, um, the day you got that diagnosis or you lost the loved one. Uh, for us, that day was April 21st, 2008, when everything we knew, all the dreams we had for this new season, new baby, you know, post-law school, life together, we're all of a sudden in a few minutes just hanging by a thread. Yeah. And this is the world that we live in that's not safe. It's not something we can control as competent as we might be. And this is our reality. I remember uh, grabbing my son, uh, following the ambulance down the Pacific Coast Highway to UCLA Hospital. And I didn't know UCLA even had a hospital and it was a college. Um, and it was pretty amazing to come around the corner Again, when my world is just sort of turning upside down and to see this giant billboard that said UCLA Hospital, best hospital in the West, number three hospital in the country. Had no idea that God was taking us just to exactly the right place where Catherine needed to go. And so often in our life, in the midst of the bottom falling out, in the midst of absolute chaos, if we look closely, we'll see God bringing order, making a way for us, making a path for us when it feels like there's no way ahead. And I, I looked around that ER waiting room on a Monday afternoon and was confused because I saw familiar faces. And I realized it was my church family who had shown up ahead of me to make a way for me to make this invisible God visible to me when I needed him. And this is the gift that the church gets to give each other. I think it's a gift we don't often really realize the great power that's available. That we get to show up in the midst of the hardest times of life and make God manifest to each other. Yeah. And this is his body. He says, you know, like when we cry out and want to be held and hugged and want to beat somebody's chest when life turns out differently than we thought. And God says, look around. I'm here with you. And um, I think what was so powerful ministered so deeply is that my friends didn't try to give me a Bible verse out of context and just slap it on me when I was losing my wife. And my son was maybe going to wake up without a mom the next day, but they instead gave me the ministry of tears and the ministry of presence. And truth would come later, but sometimes we want to slap truth on someone. It's not time yet. And so they showed me this ministry of tears and this ministry of presence, which is what Jesus offered so many people in his ministry too, right? And um, they gathered around me when we met the neurosurgeon who was on call, Dr. Nestor Gonzalez. He just happened to be this world-renowned neurosurgeon known for taking on the hardest cases. And he said, I need you to know that your wife probably won't survive the day. She's having a massive brainstem stroke, probably caused by a congenital defect she's had her whole life, but had no symptoms of until today when it ruptured. It's called an AVM, it's very rare. Unfortunately, hers is the largest that I've ever seen in my career. It's almost covering her brainstem and, and most of her cerebellum. And the pressure from the bleed right now is squeezing her brain into her spine, which is not survivable. And again, to go from a normal day to then this reversal is head spinning, to say the least. And maybe some of you have been there. Um, and so he said, I, I don't, I'm not sure if I can even attempt the surgery. And frankly, the fact that I was a lawyer was not helping the case, I'm sure. 
Um, but thankfully, Holy Spirit stepped in. And I think he has said later that he didn't know why he couldn't get this young mother off of his mind. And really against all odds, he decided to take her into surgery. And so he was going to do eight hours of surgery. During that time, about 100 people gathered from our church. And like I said, I'm from the Bible Belt. My dad's a pastor. But I think I really experienced the, the most pure, beautiful form of church in that waiting room that night. And I'm telling you, when you worship in the midst of suffering, people see it. There were people in that waiting room who said, what's going on in your life? That you have all these people coming around you and you're, you're, you're reading from this Bible and you're praising God in the midst. Like, I want to know more about this kind of community. And uh, worship can't be contained. And it's not when life is coming all perfectly together. It's when it's about to fall apart that we give our purest form of praise and worship. Because we say, but God, there's no way out of this. Have mercy on us. And that's what we did that night together. But we also laughed and we, we you know, sang and prayed and ate dinner together, broke bread, pizza. It wasn't Malnati's, but, it, you know, it was uh, whatever, Lou Malnati's. But it was a little slice of life, right? And um, it was this beautiful just moment of the human experience and why we need each other. And we read from Romans 8, one of those old Gideon's Bibles. Uh, Catherine had memorized that passage when she was young. And we read those together. Uh, you know, the great promises, some of the most powerful in all of the Bible that God is working all things for good and that nothing can separate us from his love in Christ Jesus. But if you've ever read those in the midst of awful pain and suffering, they can feel kind of like a lie, like it didn't feel very loving right now that God would allow this to happen. It didn't feel like anything good was being worked out in the midst of this. But I realized I couldn't just say those words. I was going to have to believe them bet my life on them, bet Catherine's life on them. And as the sun came up a few hours later, the surgeon came out. He looked exhausted. He came out of the OR, and he said these two words I'll never forget. He said, Catherine lived, and he said, we don't know if she's going to wake up or if she'll be vegetative or paralyzed or locked in or whatever, but she's alive. And um, to this day, on the day after the stroke, we celebrate Catherine Live Day, sort of our Easter, her second chance birthday. And um, yeah, thank you. Uh-uh. And we just celebrated 11 years um, recently. But so he said um, he hadn't even looked at the clock during the surgery, but it had been 16 hours of straight micro brain surgery. And um, in order to save her life, he had to remove a large part of her cerebellum, which is uh, near the brainstem. And they had to do all this, you know, sacrificing of things in order to give her life. And so he said, you know, she'll be in a medically induced coma a couple days. You guys should rest. He went to rest himself and got a text, um, or rather a page from the ICU nurse that night. And he assumed that Catherine had died. So he raced back up to the ICU and the nurse said, you won't believe it, but she's already trying to communicate. She's unconscious, but when I say lift your fingers, she's lifting them. When I say wiggle your toes, she's wiggling them. So she's not paralyzed. She's not brain dead or vegetative. And it's a miracle. And as you can imagine, they can't make medically induced coma to uh, keep this woman down and keep her from communicating. <laughs> Hold on, I'm in here, wait, wait, you know. So she was, um, she was able to just communicate that she was still there, that we would keep uh, tracking alongside her during this horrible nightmare. And she would be put on life support because her body didn't know how to breathe on its own anymore after the damage done to her brainstem. And we realized later she had been in ICU for 40 days, not 39 or 41. And I think God is always trying to tell us just because I'm silent doesn't mean I've abandoned you. And he was showing us himself in these big and these small ways and these details of our story that were showing us he is leading us through the wilderness on towards this promise ahead. 
and it wasn't the promised land yet in this story. Um, I, I want to tell you, like Jay said, I had an AVM rupture, which maybe most of you have heard of AVMs. I had not. It's um, a for me, it was a congenital tumor that I was born with that grew in my mother's womb first and then in me for 26 years and then ruptured. And um, I told my son's kindergarten class that mommy's brain exploded, basically, when I was 26. And what's cool to tell y'all about that, and I always want to make this point, is that um, the, the results of that um, stroke are this, you think. However, the disabilities and the fact that I can't walk and can't see hardly and can't drive at all are actually from the life-saving surgery. That in the surgery, the surgeon had to make the decision to wound me very deeply in order to sustain my life. And that is such a beautiful point that in our deep wounding comes our healing so many times, and that the journey to get there may leave us deeply wounded and scarred for life, but we live on the other side of our scars, and that is just so beautiful, and I always want to leave you with that picture of me. Oh, glory to God, that it, in the wounding comes the healing. And like Jay said, the first 40 days I was in ICU on life support, and then from there they would move me to a different part of the hospital called acute rehab. And that's where I really woke up. And that was really, really hard because um, I was on zero. I had no idea any of this had happened to me. So imagine trying to like put the pieces together of now you're severely disabled, you've got a tube they feed you through, you can't see, you can't hear, like nothing made sense. And when I did that in the um, hospital bed, I think I was saying, everybody chill out, I'm fine on the inside, chill out. <laughs> and what's funny is that was my cry. They gave me a board to type words and I'd type, I type, I'm the same on the inside. And so here I was totally still Catherine, but my body didn't work, it was horrifying. Um, the worst part by far of it all was that sweet baby who was six months old when I had the stroke that now is eight months old. So I'm having to like get little visits with him in the hospital room. They bring him every day and I'd get to see him. But um, it wasn't like I was able to be mommy. I thought he'd just stay with me in the hospital, honestly. I thought every day, it was like Groundhog's Day for a while, so they'd bring him in, and I just thought, okay, today's the day they'll leave him with me in the hospital bed, and I didn't know he'd have to leave. Um, that's the picture of my first Mother's Day, which I have no memory of. Um, in a way, I hate to see that picture because it makes me cry, because um, I just can't help but tell you that I think that that picture is really a summation of a deep truth as a Christian community that we need to embrace, which is that um, some things we don't get back. And there is sorrow. 
as much healing and restoration has happened and all the, the things that are now in my story that are awesome. Um, that, that time with James when he was a little baby, that first Mother's Day, those first months, um, then nearly three years he lived without me being able to take care of him when he was a baby. That's sad um, still. That's not like instantly been restored from the locust of Eden on earth. I think that is something that heaven gives. There is no sorrow on earth that heaven can't heal. You may have heard that song. And yet, um, I think it's so important for us to live that way, that there are still wounds and scars, and there will be redemption of those one day. But um, some scars are lifelong, and that's okay. There is sadness on earth, and that's okay. And um, I would love to tell you that things just instantly got better from acute rehab, but they totally didn't. I moved to a brain rehab facility. I was deemed fit to move there when I could sit up in my bed for three minutes. It was crazy. So I moved to this brain rehab facility that's like a group rehab, and it was really sad because not everybody was getting well, and not everybody had the same attitude I had, and not everyone was um, able to survive. Actually, three people in my therapy group died while I was there. It was really, really a very dark, just tragic season. Most people are the opposite of me, where my physical body's really messed up, but my mind is intact. Many there were the opposite. They'd look normal, but they couldn't tell you their name. So it's really, really, really a hard, sad time, very spiritually complicated. And everyone asked if I had a moment where I totally wanted to just give up and just of complete despair. And I say yes and no, because I don't think I'd be here, honestly, sitting in front of you today if it was fully a yes. I, I don't think I could have lasted. Um, but I say no to, and really here's why. Basically, they would test me every month to see if I could eat food again. And I failed, and I failed, and I failed, and I failed. And on my ninth swallowing test, I failed. And Jay um, wheeled me back to the house that we were living in, right by the facility. And I've just failed my ninth swallowing test. I cannot walk yet. Everything is just really, really, really awful. And I start to believe the lie. I think that's the day it really set in that I'm not going to get well, that this is it. I mean, they used to think, the doctors used to think that at six months, that's what you gain. That's all. So thankfully now they know neuroscience, the brain is able to change. Thank you, Jesus. And so there is more healing that comes. However, I think in that moment, I believed the lie that I wasn't going to ever get well at all. And Jay, like, puts me in the back of this big room, and he proceeds to the front of this room where James, who's now one, is there, and his sisters, who are there in town, are all, like, looking to me like a happy family. Like, in my mind, at least, Jay and little one-year-old James are, like, frolicking, and it's really happy. And I'm, like, in the back of the room with my head, won't even sit up on my chest, like, looking. 
And I just like remember like clarity. Like I shouldn't be here. Like if I weren't here, everyone could stop being so sad. I'm just a mistake. Like I I'm caught between life and death. I'm not dead, I'm not in heaven, but I'm not fully alive. My body doesn't work. Like this can't be what God intended for my life. And let me take that a step further. Can God even be real? Because, like, can this be God? Can this be God in this story? And, like, everything I've ever believed, I'm just not sure in this moment. And I'm, like, thinking all these thoughts, and they're landing, and I'm watching them, and I'm just kind of, like, the lights are going off, I think. And then it's like in that very same moment, and this is so important for all of us, um, I can't put into words exactly, but I walked with Jesus since I was a little girl. And every random Bible verse, every random truth I believed about God, everything in the Christian faith that has so informed my life somehow covered that deep lie with this truth that I couldn't deny. And I'm going to read it to you so I don't sob telling you about it, which I already am. But basically... Scripture I didn't even know I knew was so deeply inside of me that I could not buy into the lie. I had to believe the truth that God was so in this and at work. And I'll read it. Catherine, you are not a mistake. I don't make mistakes. I know better than you know I'm God and you're not. Remember that you were fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's room, and that is when the APM formed in your brain. There is purpose in all of this. Just wait, you'll see. There's no replacing you. Jay could never, ever marry a woman as amazing as you are. True story. <laughs> and God said that, too. I love it. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> James could never have a mommy like you. Think about what this will mean for his life. Mommy's stroke will always be a part of his story. That's a gift to him. It will inform his life. Let him consider it pure joy as he grows. All of this will teach him in ways beyond anything you could say or do. Trust me, I am working out everything for your good. Don't doubt this truth just because you are in darkness now. What's true in the light is true in the dark. I know you can't fight this. That doesn't matter. All you have to do is be still and let me fight for you. I will complete the good work I began when I gave you new life. I will carry it on to completion. Believe that. My nature is to redeem and restore and strengthen. You will see my goodness in the land of the living. Lean into this hope. Let it teach you how special you are. Most people will never go through this kind of hell on earth. I have chosen you. Live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And for those, glory to God, glory to God. 
for those of you who, who know much of the Bible and scripture, that's about 15 Bible verses, some of which I had cognitive um, remembrance of, I guess you'd say, others of which, like, they just came out. I think I remember in vacation Bible school as a six-year-old sing, singing something about God fighting for me. I need only be still, Exodus 14, 14. But who knows that? Who knows voices, you know, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Okay, so that was marinating deeply, but I don't think I knew how much I really ever need it. And that is the power, is that deep inside me, there was like all these verses from just a life spent walking with Jesus that was anything but perfect, but enough goodness inside of me that I could not believe the lie that God wasn't real and wasn't at work in this story. And super important point to make, I know we're short on time, that you're chosen. That it wasn't like this happened as part of God's plan, whatever. It's, Catherine, I've chosen you to live a life worthy of the special calling you've received, Ephesians 4.1. So this notion in the worst sufferings we experience, God is saying, I choose you for this. You are getting to show off my glory in your story by how you respond to your circumstances. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. And that... That's all of our opportunity. That's all of our choice in our heart stories is to say, this is the moment. This is when I get to show others and show myself what I truly believe. I'm going to stop talking. Keep on, go. Um, that was the epiphany of hope, we call it, when we think about our story, just this moment where we sort of had this reversal, like God showed us behind the curtain a little bit, that in our pain there was going to be some purpose and that it wasn't a mistake. And yet, you know, sometimes we get these revelations and we think that then life is just going to keep going straight up. And that's not how life works. <laughs> and uh, I remember it was another six months until Catherine could eat again and another year until she could walk a little bit. And another year and a half until we'd go back to L.A. And once we got back there, I remember that fall, uh, we met with Dr. Gonzalez, the neurosurgeon. And he came into our exam room and he was crying. And um, that's not great when your doctor's crying when he comes to tell you something about your life. And uh, he said, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but you have an aneurysm totally separate um, in your brain right now. And it's behind your good, kind of unaffected eye. And um, I'm so sorry. And, you know, in that moment, we felt like, God, how could you let another brain thing happen? You know, like, I thought at least you'd take the brain stuff off the table. We felt just sort of our heart was hurt. You know, we felt kicked in the stomach like we just thought it was going to be another way. We've already been through so much. Aren't we entitled to a, a life that we should have now? Like, you know, this was fun and great. We'll check it off the bucket list. You know, the suffering line item. We're going to go to the, the vacations now and the, you know, best life now, whatever. And uh, God said so sweetly to us, like, what is it that you want from me? <laughs> and he says it to this day that we're at this crossroads do we just want him to give us gifts? Because we know he's really good at that and we're really entitled to the life that we think we should have? Or do we want to know the giver of every good and perfect gift, which is what he's offering? He's like, you're setting the bar too low. You're asking me for all this physical healing. I'm offering you healing of your soul right now. I'm offering you myself, not just some outcome. I'm offering you me. 
I know you're hurting. I know you don't want to hurt anymore. But do you want to stop hurting or do you want to know the healer of the world? Because that's me. That's what he's offering us is himself. So we were able and are able to every day make this decision. And you are too, friends. What is it you want from God? You want to know him or do you just want the life you think he owes you? Because he's calling us to something so much better, so much bigger that he's chosen us, this calling on our lives to be these vessels of hope. And I love how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians that you've been given comfort and you've been given hope, not in the Western version, the American version of the Bible, so that you can be comfortable, so that you can be hopeful, so that you can have this life that you want. He says you've been given hope so you can give it away to somebody who needs it. Because this world is full of people standing on the edge of despair, not sure if they can get out into this unknown life anymore. And God says, you are my chosen people, my vessels of hope. I've given it to you so you can give it to them. And when you give it to them, they're going to know the God of hope too. So we call this calling, hoping it forward. And friends, I ask you today when you go to this place, what is it that God has given you that he wants you to give away to somebody who needs it? Um, the, the really interesting thing, though, is that he often calls us to give it away in a place that we don't want to go back to, in the place of our wounding. And I believe with my whole heart that you can't be healed until you've been part of somebody else's healing. And so often, that place of wounding is really the last place we want to go back to. The brain rehab, as Catherine mentioned, was really one of the worst, most painful, dark seasons of our life. But God said, if you go back to the brain rehabs, if you go back into the death and the despair and the brain injury and the disability, people listen to you when you tell them it's not the end of their story. People will believe you when you tell them that there is hope. And so we went back and have gone back to those places and those people that remind us of the worst seasons of our life, the worst wounding. And we have found so much healing there alongside of others finding healing and hope for the first time. And so a couple uh, years ago, we created a camp for families like us, families with disabilities, called Hope Heals Camp, and uh, this will be our third iteration of it this coming week, actually, in Alabama, and we'll have 800 participants from 30 states in the UK come to find healing together uh -oh. through their pain. So we're so humbled uh, that God would allow us to take this message back to the people like us who are looking for a reason to get out of bed in the morning, and that's what he's calling you to, friends. And I guess the update on our story, in addition to having this incredible camp, that we would humbly invite you to come volunteer at. Illinois is not that far from Alabama. There's a number of people coming. But the, the final update for now in our story is that um, in fall of 2014, after um, I'd been, like, checked off by all the doctors to, after 13 surgeries and on and on, um, they deemed me medically fit to get pregnant, and I did. And I had um, baby John Nestor Wolf in June of 2015. So, I know, it's, it's crazy. Not, not been, many women in wheelchairs have babies, but uh, um, I did. It was really wonderful. He's four now and making this a bit crazy as a toddler, but we're loving it. And his name, John, um, you may have heard the name John. It's um, my favorite book in the Bible for many reasons, and I love the meaning of John, that um, the Lord's been gracious because he has. I love John 9-3, that the blind men who talks to Jesus, someone says, why was he born blind? And they say, Jesus says, 
he was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed through him. And that is our prayer for our John. And John's middle name, Nestor, is for my neurosurgeon who saved my life, Nestor Gonzalez. And um, we did not know this at the time, but the name Nestor means homecoming, remembrance, and seeker of miracles, which you can't make this stuff up. I mean, what? So um, John Nestor is just this treasure in our home, this flesh and bones picture of the gospel, of near death, new life, broken things that make new things, and just really um, a picture of our faith, of um, the story of God making all things new. So thank you all for letting us share um, what's going on with us right now. Shall we? <laughs> <laughs> to be continued. To be continued, right. yeah. We're, th we're 36, so hopefully we got some more chapters. Some more chapters to write, indeed, God willing. Thank you. Thank Shall we you. pray? Uh-oh. Uh, you got to clap for God. God, not us. We're going to pray with you and for you. God, we know you don't make mistakes. We know we don't have to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders, God, because you carry it for us. Lord, release us into the hope that is you. Thank you for bringing us to this moment to remember the story we already know that you've written on our hearts from the beginning, God, that there is hope, and hope is a person, and hope is you, Jesus. We love you. Father, I am struck by 2 Corinthians 4 for us all today and every day that we are hard-pressed, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are never destroyed, Lord. Let us live that way. Let us live with the knowledge that it will be hard, for sure, but that you are writing a beautiful story with our lives, Lord wrought with hard seasons, with sufferings, for sure. But your presence will sustain us, Father. We know ultimately, with all the hard stuff in our lives, that the one good thing you will never withhold from us is you. It's your presence, Lord. Let us lean into that, our truly good hope. Father, we love you. Amen. <laughs>